This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. question for you about a shirt i saw at the grocery store today great if, if you saw a man walking down the aisle of a grocery shirt store and the back of his shirt said really big what i wrote it down specifically so i wouldn't forget anti-vegan vegan club with Whoa. no like hyphens and all the text is like the same same typeface same text size Whoa. how would you scan that how, how what does your brain do with that is okay. Is he a vegan who just doesn't like people who are vegan? You see, I thought that too, but then I think that there is nothing more vegan than <laughs> publicly proclaiming yourself to be vegan. So I don't know if it actually—I don't know if it actually fulfills the purpose that it purports it might, to be. Fulfilling, it might be you know? a self-own of a shirt. Like he may have inadvertently anti-veganed himself. Mm-hmm. By wearing, by donning the shirt of the anti-vegan vegan club, can you be in a club of anti-vegans if you're a vegan? I don't. And now I'm wondering, like, is he in a club that is only anti-vegan vegan? Wait, what does that club? mean? Oh, language oh. is fun. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, they're like they've sworn off anti-vegans, or mm. no, they've. Wait. Yeah, I don't know. Or they, um, or it's a uh, advertisement for a club sandwich that yes. is vegan, but it seems like it wouldn't be. So it's like an anti-vegan vegan club sandwich. I would eat that sandwich. Welcome mm-hmm. to Overdue. It is a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My uh, name's Andrew, and I like just talking about words on this word podcast. Yeah, I saw it. Sometimes the, started, the words are in books, and sometimes they're on shirts, but I sc- feel like we need to treat all words equally. <laughs> we scr- Well, not all words, but we scrambled well, no. <laughs> just to hit record because I was telling Andrew I had seen a sweatshirt on a man and the sweatshirt just said reigning champion and it didn't Uh clarify of what and i knew he was doing that on purpose but what if he was the champion of something Mm -hmm. and i was not treating him with the proper respect he just won he was the champion of office bowling and they got him that shirt but they didn't they couldn't spring for any kind of personalization (laughs) at all (laughs) yeah because everybody only kicked in five bucks they couldn't put like a real logo on it Mm -hmm. you're just the reigning champ Mm mm-hmm of our six person like i would rather would you rather wear the reigning (laughs) champion shirt or the anti-vegan vegan club shirt hit us up on twitter let us know which shirt you would wear um andrew every week on the show one of us reads a book and tells the other person a new shirt that we've never read before (laughs) we tell the other person about the shirts and the books that we've read um, and our listeners get about an hour's worth of information on the author and the book itself so that they can decide whether or not they want to read it or whether or not they liked our take if they have read it. Um, mm-hmm. What did you read this week for the show? I read a short story collection called Friday Black by uh, Nana Kwame Ajay Brenya. Mm. Came out in 2018, and it's 
the rare book that actually still fulfills like the original prompt that we started with <laughs> in that I was given it as part of a Secret Santa thing at work like a couple years ago. Yes. And I had just never gotten around to reading it because I I only was reading things for the show. So I was like, what if Whoa. I made it reading for the show and that's how I read it. And so Yeah, there's a am. lot of random books in the first seventy episodes that are like, This was on my shelf. That's why we're talking about it. We stopped doing that a while ago. So thanks for bringing it back. It's a yeah, good we're tradition. Back classic. You know, um, post four hundred, I feel like we need to reconnect with our roots sometimes. <laughs> that's true. I did bring you studied at Syracuse. Um, he teaches there now, um, and his work has appeared in like Guernica, Printer's Row, Break- Breakwater Review. Um, this is his first book, mm-hmm. and in 2018, he was named by the National Book Foundation as one of the five under 35 uh, like influential authors. It's kind of like a, it's like that Forbes 30 under 30 thing, but it's, they just say five under 35. Mm-hmm. Um, and Colson Whitehead is the author of Underground Railroad, among other things. Um, and they let they let winners of the National Book Award like pick new like people to recognize, which is kind of cool. Um, during his time at Syracuse, he studied a lot with George Saunders, who is a, a writer we have never covered. And I am like, wow, he has like one novel, but then a bajillion short stories, and that right, may be yeah. why we haven't gotten to him yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think our discussion of short stories will like play into to that a little bit today um as i said this was his first novel it was the recipient of a pen gene stein book award shortlisted for the dylan thomas prize um yeah and it's gotten like a claim from folks like roxanne gay uh and other authors who are like y'all gotta read this book it's a like this kind of it's gotten comparisons to black mirror and like Twilight Zoney, like taking yeah, that, I, that'd be where I would go because yeah. every because we I did um pen pal for Spooktober this past year and yeah. that was a we don't do we haven't done a ton of short story collections on the on the show that was a short story collection but it was like six five or six short stories that were all telling one big story so really yeah. it was just you know a chapter book with a little stank on it this <laughs> <Sure>. is. <laughs> That's how they talk about it in the publishing biz. But this is this is legitimately like it's a dozen short stories. There are three, including the the title story, Friday Black, that are that share like a setting and um some characters, sorta of, kinda. But um the others are sort of independent and, and thematically linked, but but they're all kind of their own thing. Okay. By design. Yeah, I was when we were talking about it coming into the recording i was thinking about uh goon squad which i read many years ago and still think about like that is a book that is there are characters that crop up more than once but the some of the chapters have like they have thematic resonance with each other and they do exist in the same reality um so maybe it's kind of in between it sounds like pen pal and this one this is very clearly that there is no connection like no other than if you read them all in a row, you'd have a certain feeling about what the author is describing. Yeah. Like, yeah, in, I think that's roughly correct. Yeah. Um, and he has said in, in some of the interviews about his influences and, and kind of what his work is like, 
someone this was a book riot interview someone once said the stories are asking which world is dystopia mine or yours and i really like that kind of energy he said um and he's also spoken a lot about uh growing up reading a lot of serial sci-fi and fantasy uh i read animorphs as a kid i'm from the harry potter generation Uh, but outside of books, I love anime, uh, excuse me, anime from uh, Dragon Ball Z to more cerebral stuff like <laughs> Death Note or this anime called Monster. got to obey house style when pronouncing anime. <laughs> yeah, it's in the style guide. Uh, Miyazaki <laughs> stuff. And what's cool about that is I was made to view those things as valid for a lot of high level thought. It's funny because when you see parodies of anime, there will be people in the middle of fights having real, oh, excuse me, anime, having really <laughs> philosophical debates. Anime is really big on that. And that was important to me when there's violence it's very much couched in this is why and that rubbed off on me i think there is a lot of like when there's fighting in anime it's usually uh like a couple punches and then people have a lot of feelings about the three punches that they threw right like it's a lot of talking and that is so that they can just reuse the same 30 frames of two people staring at each other it's cost effective (laughs) yeah like it, it is a it is a genre trope that has its roots in the business reality of making 1000 cartoon episodes yes. with $30. Uh-huh. <laughs> but then it but then it like begets people who are taking advantage of the expectations of the forum and then you have just like you get the like highbrow lowbrow stuff pretty pretty smoothly in a lot of anime in my personal experience. Mm-hmm. Um And then the other thing that kind of follows this book around in the reviews and in his uh, biography, because he is uh, a younger author, so there's not too much about him other than this book and some of the other fiction he's had published, um, is his experience working in malls. And a couple of the stories in this book, I understand, are either related to or take place in malls. Um, He worked at the Palisades Mall, which is in New York, actually not far from where my aunt lives. (laughs) I've driven by that mall a number of times. Um, And not your home mall, but not my home mall, not the King of Prussia Mall. That's my home mall. (laughs) We go that we go to that mall, and I have home field advantage. he says, I worked in malls for a long time. It's harsh because there's an aspect of uh, projecting this sincerity, projecting this interest when you would rather be doing anything else and also not being paid well for that work. There's also at certain points maybe the fear that this is what the rest of my life will look like. But you do find little moments of joy inside it when you can. Uh, sometimes in retail you do feel like you're helping someone. I remember people would come in and they'd want certain kinds of clothes with no color and tags and I'd get the right ones for them and they could maybe get those clothes to somebody in prison because there are a lot of strict codes about what you can wear. So it was dispiriting but you make the best of it and it gave me a lot obviously of things to write about. Yeah, um, that's an interesting perspective on... I, I think that when you're especially when you're a young like a a teenager or 20 year old or something working in retail especially if you're going to school or you have plans to go to school or something there is a there's a tendency to think of yourself as just passing through and then you've got like lifers there who are who you may or may not think of as like stuck there in that retail job and it's it's the kind of it's the it's the kind of perspective you only can really have with the like privilege of of youth <laughs> yes and um and like mobility but it's it's something that um i think Ajay Branya really captures in the in the mall centric and and Friday Black the the title story is one of those ones in the mall but cool. yeah i think he captures that pretty well 
Then there's there's another one um, about somebody whose like father has left and he's working in a in a warehouse like unloading trucks and mm. if his dad comes back then he is just passing through and he gets to go to college and he gets to do all that stuff but if his dad doesn't come back then he needs quote like every cent of that ten dollars and ten cents an hour and that is what his life is but yeah. he is like consciously choosing to let other people in that store believe the first thing and not the second thing hmm. okay yeah. uh do you want to like start pivoting into the book itself and then we can kind of bounce out into other thoughts as necessary yeah i think that sounds good um i don't really i don't have a planned like path through the book i know like i came i came into the episode knowing that we'd be able to fill the hour which is always the most <laughs> important thing contractual obligation with ourselves yep but <laughs> but i guess i guess we can just start with the with the beginning with the beginning and then use that to talk about kind of some of the types of stories that are in here. So the revolution first story is, um, it's called the Finkelstein five. Okay. And it is a, um, it's a story about, and it's a little bit, it's a little exaggerated, but exaggerated in a way that is meant to draw attention to the way that this really happens in mm. real life. It's a story about a, uh, a guy who has recently seen um, this trial of this white man and this man like brutally chainsawed the heads off of five black children. Oh God. Like, teenage teenagers and younger. Okay. Um, and under the like aegis of self-defense, like he was protecting himself and his children. <sighs> and so he has chainsawed the heads off of these people. And, and it is it's uh it's interspersed like there there are you are in the perspective of the of the main character who is a black man who is always thinking about it's 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 an interesting way to display code switching like he's always thinking of his blackness as a as being on a 10 point scale like when he is talking to somebody on the phone about a job interview he tries to dial it down to like a 1.5 oh wow okay but when he is you know when he is just like out in the world like dressed up in in like business casual he's like a four point something and then huh. sometimes in, in in a few places in the book he like intentionally dials it up to like an 8.0 or an 8.5 <laughs> and you know it, it's all about how he both how he feels like in his in his own mind but also how he sees other people reacting to him okay and this is the guy who him. who read that story or saw that trial or whatever well, yeah yeah it's he's a guy living in the world where this trial took place okay and so um be, and then you get courtroom scenes with with this guy who who did it talking about how he was doing it in self-defense like he came out of a library or something and and there were these kids and then he went right to chainsawing them including one who whose body was found far away from the others and seemed to be you know countering his story that they were all rushing him and attacking him hmm so take taking what is a a, a very real thing in America, and dialing it which up, which is which is white people killing black people, claiming self defense and and getting away with it. Yes. There's another story that that gets into an even more specific like subgenre of this week that we will talk about also. Um, but the the um the reaction of the protagonist and other the other people in this in this world is to 
kill like to kill white people while like chanting the names of these five huh. children. Okay. And that's sort of the story. It's it, like it just hit gets him. to that and then it's done. Well, yeah, and it's it's it is a thing that's happening constantly throughout the story and then you just get to see the protagonist like deal with it and Okay. Okay. And like go from being a being a like regular person just doing regular person things to then like killing these white people and and feeling this like deep need for like some kind of acknowledgement or justice of what has been done to these kids sure you know? sure so it's like it's like an examination of radicalization or at least like eye-opening to a problem and then well and i don't even know if it's not if it's about radicalization that's, that's it, it's about like at what point does it, when does nonviolence stop being effective like at, oh, at sure. what point yeah. is there no other option for people and that's kind of what it's exploring but it's it's there are a couple of kinds of stories i, I would categorize one as sort of like ripped from the headlines sort of things I, I think that's maybe a little pejorative but it's a there are stories in this that you can read and be like oh yeah this is about x like this is about a specific or even like a specific genre of real life thing that happens okay, okay. and then there are others that are a little bit more that like a broader sort of scope um there's one that is about like it's a world where genetic engineering has become acceptable but not everybody gets it so the protagonist has not gotten it but then everybody else around him has and there's a lot of speaking in sort of uh i don't know like 1984 e like double plus ungood oh neat sort of sanitized <laughs> language and <laughs> and just talking about the um the, the way that it would be for people like both people who had not been genetically engineered or for people who had been like they had people tried to genetically engineer them, but it went bad. And so that's like very soft than they were yeah, before. Yeah, that's very cyberpunky. Um, even though I'm, it doesn't sound like it reads as such it doesn't sound like he's explicitly playing in that particular genre and and doing it in short stories allows him to like inject that genre influence into like maybe something that seems more quote unquote mundane or quote unquote relatable or less genre e um but that's something i think about whenever i've started in the last few months whenever you get you see people posting online after like an award show and they're like how is this actor who's 60 years old how do they look so good and like i more they're rich and yeah. it's their job to look that good more and more, I I see less just raw amazement at how good people look and just generally like, yo, they're rich and their bodies are different now. Like, you will not look like that. You can't unless you have that money because the money goes into literally gets injected into their bodies. That's how it works. Uh, I don't know if you knew that, Andrew, but I was dimly aware of the way that they injected dollar bills into their skin to look good. Look yeah, good. just like straight. At, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, the old way to do it was just to like shove them, like no injecting, just kind of like taking the money and just putting. Is them that in. what Scrooge McDuck was doing <laughs> when he was bathing in that gold? He was just trying to look younger. <laughs> that that little rascal. 
Um, there's a there's a quote from the. Do the other stories have that element of hyperbole to the Mandrew? Like because um, there's a New York Times interview with Ajay Brenya where he says sometimes hyperbole comes from saying the truth plainly. It helps me get directly to the point. And it sounded like the Finkelstein Five story had that where like the quote unquote self defense argument was just pushed all the way past the logical extreme. So that you as the reader are meant to recognize it as hyperbole and then well, see and the after effects. Yeah, and it's it's even when you say hyperbole there, like hyperbole has these has connotations that make it sound unrealistic. I think yeah, yeah. what what the the hyperbole there and, and in some other places in the story collection is trying to do is we are we live in a country where people just get gunned down all the time and there is a partly because of just the repetition of it and partly because people just need to people need to come up with a way to keep living their lives. Yeah, yep. You kind of I'm not even going to say stop noticing it. It just stops registering the the same way. Or you can't treat it with you can't treat each individual instance with the weight that you wish you could or else you'd like just lose it. You would just, yeah, 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 and so the the hyperbole here is trying to get to a place that is so far out that it makes you feel the way that you felt the first time something like this happened. Okay, sure. If that makes sense, yeah, it does. Um, do other stories make use of that effect? Yeah the the Friday Black story is about um it's more about um like capitalism and it, it, this this is the mall story basically. Okay, it's about sure. it's about a mall on Black Friday, and the. The language used throughout, especially the introduction, draws heavily from sort of zombie apocalypse sort of fiction. Hmm. hmm. Imagine, because, listen, like divorced from a retail context, if you call something Black Friday, that sounds really horrible and like metal <laughs> and like people are definitely going to die. Do you, do you know where it comes from, Andrew? Uh, no, I don't. I did some research. Off the top research. of my head. No, I don't. I'm sure I, I'm sure I have heard this but sure. off the top of my head I don't remember. So apparently in the in 1951 an associate editor for a, some sort of trade publication called Factory Management and Maintenance <laughs> cheekingly described the Friday after Thanksgiving as Black Friday due to terrible worker absenteeism. <laughs> <laughs> and then in the 60s in Philadelphia of all places Go birds um the Cops apparently coined it because they hated working the long days with all the traffic jams where all the people would come into the city to buy stuff. And it was like Black Friday was like a bad thing. Like, ugh, like it's it's this like terrible day where we have to do stuff. And they tried to rebrand it as Big Friday <laughs> to get rid of the connotation. Um, and it didn't stick. So then they just like... In the 80s, I guess, ad wizards were like, no, it means that the books are in the black. Like, that's what it means. And that's de- it God, definitely that sort of 80s reframing of everything <laughs> around the stock market. Yeah. Yes. So it just it went from uh, bosses being upset about their workers being out to cops being upset about working long hours to the failed big friday uh, which i will now call it forever I, yeah we you need to call it big friday right <laughs> well i don't know maybe maybe um in the context of this book that would be papering over disaster what happens in this book's well black it's friday? it's just a 
And I have. Have you ever worked retail on Black Friday before? Yes. When I worked at uh, a music store in high school, I worked a few Black Fridays. I don't. You can't, re- you can't tell me what the music store is. Oh yeah, I could. Well, just like Sam Goody would get mad at you, or no, what? no, it was a music <laughs> instrument store. I worked at a Sam oh, Ash okay. Music uh, okay, where we okay. sold instruments and stuff. Um, I thought you worked at like a. a Virgin Records. <laughs> the, no, my my wheel of fortune. Don't name the company you work for. Brain kicked in. <laughs> oh, <laughs> for whatever okay, reason. Okay. Um, yes. Don't give them free airtime. Uh, and I've, I'm fairly certain I must have worked at at the Cold Stone on a Black Friday or two, but I, I don't recall actually. But even yeah, but even then, like when you're doing food service, it's a little bit different because. You are the you are a sideshow. You are a thing that people are going to do on their way to or from yes. eviscerating somebody in an office max, which Correct. I did work oh, a Black God. Friday oh, no. in an office max. And I had to, you know, I, I was there at like five in the morning. You know, you got this was back when this was back when it like Black Friday was definitely a big thing. But before companies decided, like, j- let's not let's cancel the last bit of Thanksgiving and just let the days fully bleed into each other and never close, which is a giant bummer to me. Yep. It's really bad. Like there are a lot of Rubicons in this, but I feel like that was the Rubiconiest <laughs> of all of them. Why but has yeah, there people... never been a, a politician named Rubicon who is just <laughs> crossing lines every week? <laughs> She's so transgressive. I think we could we could this is, sounds like a good uh fodder for political cartoons so let's, Ooh, let's the adventures of ruby khan ruby khan yeah just uh just put that in your back pocket yeah. but no the, the people who show up for like the doorbusters which oh, is God. the like retail code for whoever really cheap like laptop or ipad or something people really want we've deliberately stocked like four of them on purpose because we just want everybody to show up in the hopes of getting this. And then they'll get something and else they, instead. They will, they will bust the door down. And then even if they don't get the thing they busted the door down for, they will be in the store. And that's half the battle. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's true. Um, but anyway, anyway, yeah, this is it takes Black Friday. And again, like we talked about, like turns up the exaggeration knob enough to make it outrageous again. And so you, you get the stories on Black Friday of people getting trampled because they do because everybody just like they need a thing like they need a deal on a thing for yep. themselves or to like make a family member happy or something. Um, so this borrows language from zombie fiction. It gives people an affliction called Friday Black. Like Friday Black is the brain worm that you get. Oh, no. your Black Friday that you get. And like people... And, and so the protagonist in that story has been on a past Black Friday bitten by somebody. And so like didn't it's it's not like a contagious thing where you can go full like, Friday Black from getting bitten by somebody who has it. But he does like understand their language like they come in and they point at something and they just kind of grunt or say brand names. And he understands I need this. This is the only time my family can afford this thing. Oh, or sure. Like, I need this specifically for my son or my mother or whatever to make them happy. Um, so, yeah. He's, but, then, but then, like, a lot of people die and there are, like, designated zones where bodies can be swept. And it's just, <gasps> it's not discussed in the terms of, like, murder or, or anything. Like, these are, 
these are not zombies to be avoided at all costs. They are still customers to be interacted with and sold to. Oh, God. But, it, yeah. And you huh. can kind of see where it goes from there, I think. And it sounds like most of these stories don't, like... It doesn't sound like he is calling out an ill or calling out a problem. The ill in this one is capitalism. Well, no, no, no. no. Just Sorry. Like, <laughs> no. Yeah. He, so he is calling out an ill, but he is. it doesn't sound like he is then going and here's a way out or here it's it's more of the black mirror twilight zone like here's a dang problem Le- leave him thinking about it yeah no that's that's the thing no Did, he's not he's not trying to say and this is and this is the thing that will fix capitalism he's yeah just like, here's capitalism that's bad and i'm gonna twist it and exaggerate it and like emphasize things to like make you feel about to to make you think about it in a way that you haven't before and because of that you will then get a chance to think anew about how bad and terrible it is yeah that's but it's yeah it's there there's not like the one of the the benefits i guess of it being a short story collection is it does have an excuse to dip out before it would need to yes sure before we need to have like a moral or like more of a point beyond just like pointing the thing out, you know? Yeah. It's meant to give you, and it sounds, I will probably not forget for at least a little while, the concept of referring to people with the black Friday brain brain worms as Friday black. Like it has, like he's boiling things down in a, like in that same way where you think about the twilight zoo zone guy with the glasses that break and like he had so much time to read kind of stuff it's like mm-hmm. a, a palpable takeaway image that sums up the story all at all in one go yeah yeah yeah. Um, are there ones that like didn't work for you or or at least or one or two that we need to hit because they did work for you it's just it's so okay yeah the, the two subgenres of story i want to get back to this because i don't know yeah, that i sure. ever like finished my yeah, thought sorry. there but there are um yeah, there, there are the ones that are sort of ripped from the headlines a little bit. There is there's one that goes a little bit further on the subject of like specifically violence against uh, black people in America called uh, Zimmerland. Oh, OK. Which maybe you can just from the name sort of guess where this one's going to go. This is a theme park hmm. that has been built around some simulations where people get to come in and dole out justice like in a in a safe simulated zone and they get to it is presented as sort of a choose your own adventure thing almost oh so westworld it's not he's not ripping off westworld because he was probably writing this before westworld like came to be a thing but the idea that you could go the idea that you could go into a safe simulated space and commit heinous acts of violence it's well, see, it's not it's not framed that way. It's framed as so okay. Okay. To yeah. give you the main example, there is a one of the attractions in this park is sort of a suburban cul-de-sac where you, the person who's participating in the situation, sees a black youth wandering around in your neighborhood and you get to decide what to do about it. And you're presented with a couple of options, including calling the police and a gun. Oh, and 86% of people, according to the protagonist in this one, pick the gun as their way of getting justice. And so this, of course, is about uh, George Zimmerman killing Trayvon Martin. Yeah. George Zimmerman, who's a real 
sack of garbage. Yeah, uh, terrible apparently person. In de- back in December, he decided he took it upon himself to sue trade for Trayvon Martin's family for a hundred million dollars on grounds of false evidence and abuse of process. So, like, imagine having your son, your grandson, your nephew, whatever, like gunned down for no reason. Not only does the guy get off, but then he sues you. <laughs> like, I can't even. Ugh, it makes I, me sad. So. I am, I am impressed when terrible people find a way to be more terrible. It is dismaying. And, he he and has honest. made it his business over many yeah. years to keep topping himself in that yeah. in that specific way. It's so great. Ugh. Um. So does that like? How does that? What feeling does that story leave you with? Because that's, well, that's my so, experience so of a lot of this, stories like this. Yeah. So, so that's the that's kind of the setup, and then the the story is also exploring ideas of like how do you if if something is toxic and terrible, like this idea of this theme park where people effectively just like show up so they can shoot somebody without real consequences. consequences. Yeah. And that's like that's not what it's been sold as. It's sold as like this this justice decision making simulator, but oh. that's but that's not why people show up for it. And so you've got this like one of the very few black folks who work in this park at all working there in part because he feels like he can steer it to be something better than it is. And and he does um at one point suggest so so this this particular simulation does have sort of a post game where you are like you file a police report, you talk to the cops and then they let you off without a trial because everything is fine. Oh my God. And the protagonist pitches like, what if we, what if we made it? He says specifically, like I worry that we are equating killing with justice. And what if we did a bit more afterward to like make this person feel the consequences of the, like the human life that they took. And he's kind of brushed off by his superiors. Huh. And so it's it's I guess talking about the the selling your soul I guess is kind of the the thing that the story uses. Yeah, there's also like an uh it sounds like there's like a how certain systems are going to be resistant to change or are ignore themselves against like moral improvement for lack of a better word, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like he can only do so much to to affect what the people running that theme park are going to do. And then, yeah, well, like, wait, it's up to him whether or not he can live with that. I guess. Well, I and then, then, you know, while he is there, he, he serves as a fig leaf for the yeah, people sure. who run the park to do, yep. to, to say like, Oh look, we have, we have black people who work here. Like obviously oh, it can't be as bad as that. That is more a subtext, I think than some of the other stuff in the story, but it's, it's, it's there. Yeah. That's work. Um, oh man. But one of the, one of the virtues I think of the of the short story format for this book is and this people way smarter than me have talked about this way more eloquently than me, so I'm just kinda gonna bring it up great um, and then move on. But <laughs> okay. there is so when you're talking about representation in literature and TV or in movies or in whatever, um often not always and and things I think are are slowly drifting in the right direction, but often when you bring people of color in to tell a story, you are asking them to tell a story about like being people of color, about like they need to be representative of their entire like demographic 
because yeah, they've sure. been allowed into this space and there are there are stories that they are sort of allowed encouraged to tell or, or that are easier sells for people yes people um, people signing checks are can can sell a certain type of are comfortable selling a, ter- a certain type of story sure yeah mm-hmm. but to to so to bring this back to my like there are two types of stories in this book there are stories in this book that are kind of explicitly like i am a I am a young black writer talking about the black experience in America, like the violence and the injustice and and everything. And then there are like the, the Friday black and the, the uh, story that the book ends on, which we can talk about or the, the sort of Orwellian uh, gene splicing future one that are oftentimes like usually the, the, protagonists in those stories are are black or are explicitly meant to be read as black but it is it is not trying necessarily to only view things through that one lens or, or like only th- does that make sense yeah like, it is not it, it i'm not i'm not I, trying to discount like the identity and the experience of the author in talking about those stories because it's always an element but there are some that are more that that are trying to comment more broadly on like this is what everybody in the like lower middle class working class whatever sort of experiences yep in this like especially in the retail stuff like there is a universality to that if if you have worked retail on black friday or whatever that's one of the reasons i wanted to talk about that it's like you you will automatically understand and, and connect to on a very deep level all the stuff that he is talking about in those stories is that does that no it does and it yeah. sounds like what you're saying is that like it it doesn't the whole book doesn't have to be or or he is just not you know he didn't write every story about police brutality or about like you know racial violence and yet you can tell from those stories that he is, you know, an expert expert explorer of those topics and, and is thinking about them creatively, but then he's also applying that to other things he's interested in, and right, it makes yeah. for a, a, an interesting collection of stories that doesn't have to be representative of his personal biographical experience. Mm-hmm. Hmm. All right, that's cool. Or, like, other parts of his personal biographical experience that are yes 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 yes, tied directly to having to be a young black man in america you know for sure for sure um even like i said that's that's always present it's always there but i i think and and this came up even in some of the reviews that i read but i think when people are gonna talk about this book and you read some goodreads stuff Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i think people are are going to gravitate to like oh this one's about trayvon martin this one's just about how the justice system works for for black americans like those are the top line ones that I think people are going to mention. And I was not that those stories aren't super impactful, but I was more drawn to, and I guess surprised by not surprised that, that he as an author can, could do these kinds of stories, but surprised that a publisher would be, would be up for publishing more of this kind of stuff. I, I was more, surprised by and sort of absorbed into the the stories that could be that that couldn't be tied so explicitly to like a real world thing does that yeah 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 that does make sense yeah (laughs) i'm trying to talk about this in a a way that doesn't make me sound like an idiot or like i'm minimizing no that was so there were contextual stuff so the the i did do a dive on like some goodreads reviews because i think the 
we talked a little bit about there's a there's a good New York Times review, very positive New York Times review by Tommy Orange. Um, and I want to come back to I want to ask you about violence in in just a second because that's a thing that a lot of the reviews talk about. Um, and Tommy Orange, you know, highlights a couple of that's the stories a good name. that we've yeah. I'm glad um, you keep saying Tommy Orange because yeah, I need name. you to say his whole name. His name's great as many times as you can. Um, yeah. Tommy Orange is good. Uh, we should read some Tommy Orange for the show actually. I think at okay. some point. Um, but uh, he talks about the couple of stories we've already talked about. Um. And the the kind of middle of the road Goodreads reviews, like they talk about them and then say, and I wasn't as into the other ones. Like I came here for essentially like Friday Black and Finkelstein Five, and then you know ducked out from some of the other ones. Um, Roxanne Gay, Gay wrote a four star review um, that is a glowing. Four star review for a book that she is quoted on both the front <laughs> yeah. and the back. Of, I don't which know if that was just an wild. error. When she pressed the button, I, here's what she said. I got to think it's like, good first effort, kid. Yeah. Can't wait to see what you come up with next. <laughs> Keep striving for that fifth star. If I were her Goodreads editor, here's the text. The edge of the stories in Nanakwame uh, Ajebrenya's debut collection, Friday Black, is razor sharp, ready to cut deep. This book is dark and captivating and essential. This book is a call to arms and it is a condemnation. Ajebrenya offers powerful prose as parable. The writing in this outstanding collection will make you hurt and demand your hope. Read this book. Marvel at the intelligence of each of these stories and what they reveal about racism, capitalism, complacency, and their insidious reach. That, My friend, that is a five-star review. <laughs> yeah. What did you do? Um... And then March March Payne, uh, another user, also says, like, um, it inhabits the borderlands between genres, to borrow a term from Michael Shaban, uh, sort of literary, sci-fi, fantasy, horror, maybe all of the above. Um, it, in one story, it's hard to tell whether the backdrop is a zombie-infested post-apocalyptic wasteland or just an ordinary shopping mall. And that kind of, like, genre jumping seems to be what you responded to. Um, it's one of the things, yeah. For sure. A lot of the folks... There were plenty. There were a couple one-star reviews that were like, "The message of these stories is good, but I didn't dig reading them," um, or they just kind of found it weird, or they didn't understand. Like a more specific like example of of a thing they didn't like that you can point to, or no? Uh, a number of them did not care for the violence in the stories. Um, they found it too violent or grotesque. Is that that's. A yeah i I wanted to to read this collection of stories that's about the black experience in america and capitalism but it's too violent i know i don't like all the violence my dude you have fully missed the point congratulations one person literally just said i didn't understand many of the stories and maybe that you know i don't know i don't want to like pass explicit judgment on that person i i've got to I've got to imagine maybe there are better starting points if you have never encountered this kind of fiction before or if okay. you are not if you have not encountered like social novels or yeah that kind of stuff. Yeah, it seems to like if if you I'm going to go way out on a limb. If you are a person who for whatever reason does not have knowledge of like Trayvon Martin getting murdered then maybe you come to Zimmerland and you're like, what is everybody talking about? Yeah, for yeah. I don't understand what's going on in this story. Mm. Why is it called Zimmerland? Well, and that's an interesting uh I guess I don't know if it's a conundrum, but it is a, a thing that 
things like Black Mirror, and it sounds like some of these stories, they do make an assumption that the audience knows some information. Like for satire or for this type of like hyperbolic fiction to work. They have some like base amount of knowledge on the thing that's being riffed upon or commented upon. Yes, and perhaps even a shared... no, nah, maybe not value set, but like I could understand someone like someone who uh, does not see that as the horror that it was in in terms of Trayvon Martin would respond very differently or get not get what the author is is trying to do. Yeah, um, though, I mean, I feel like that that audience is just not going to find you're not going to read the book. Yeah, typically. But yeah, I, I definitely know what you mean. Is, is it it assumes a not just a baseline of knowledge about the event, but like a baseline interpretation of the event that yes. it was, that it was unjust. And well, and that's that our, it, that's our that universe it, now. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Just whether or not we agree on what f- happened literally. Um, yeah. So it just seems that like there were, there were the one that I said, like the message was good, but the stories fell flat. They like, they spent some time talking about the like social issues discussed specifically the racial issues as like if someone wanted to teach a class about this this would be a good text to include but i just did not enjoy those stories um and i don't know what you know i don't know wh- how that is useful to someone necessarily yeah like, goodreads is a weird platform <laughs> goodreads is a weird platform i always like going there though because i i just like I like reading a dozen Goodreads reviews and coming away with like an aggregate, sort of a, a, sense. an aggregate, like good and and bad read on on what the book was doing and what it was what it was succeeding at. Yeah, um, I I guess I could extrapolate that out to my reaction, which is that I was more interested in the stories that were a bit wider and more abstracted and less about the ones that were that were more like targeted and specific. Do Do you have a sense of why you like? Wh- I think I mean honestly for me I think it is just that the things the things that are being pointed out in the stories that are more targeted and specific are things that I have sort of you've spent time thinking about yeah like yeah. I've I've kind of not that that like minimizes the horror of them but I it is what is in there is a little bit more expected because of how I have already processed those events, if that makes sense. Yeah. So if this again, um, okay, so that gets to that. Just just talking about yep. it on like purely a fictional like. Yep. I'm reading t- a twenty page story and I am looking for stuff to talk about for my book podcast. Like yeah. perspective, if that makes the, sense. The novelty factor is lower in because you have read other books that have dealt with those issues. Right, and yeah, even novelty yeah. I don't I don't know if I want to use because I don't want it to make it I don't want to make no, it sound no, no. like oh uh, but injustice in the court system for for that's black and point. brown people look boring. That's but a good point. That's, yeah. that's not what I'm saying. Well, at and all. sometimes the but, sometimes the pa- like for lack of a better word the packaging or the delivery mechanism the way the story is structured can make it uh can make it novel, can make it well, it is you it know, is that like yeah. if, if this is twelve stories and one hundred eighty eight pages. So if you're just looking for, if you are sort of between books right now, and or or you're just looking for something sort of a little more obscure and unexpected to read, like do it because it will take you two or three hours to get through all of them, and you're going to find something that you like here. Sure. Um, but yeah, like even though I'd say you know those stories didn't didn't grab me as much. It's not it's not because there was not arresting imagery or 
or things in there that that made me think about things anew. It was just, it was just that some of the stories grabbed me more than others and that's all that it means well and you're reading them in aggregate too for the show it, it might be different if you were bopping in and out like hey i have this book i'm just gonna read you know a short story every once in a while right yeah like i read it in three sittings or something which yeah. is which is i guess if you were gonna have if you're gonna leave yourself more time not a, not including the couple in here that are like two or three pages which there are a couple oh of, really huh yeah maybe maybe you take more space uh, the ones that are two or three pages are not the ones that really suck with me. So <laughs> it's not to say they're bad. It's just, you know. Well, you could just like be flipping through the book and oops, you missed them. Like that's yeah, just how right, that exactly. works. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, Andrew, I didn't get to talk about any of my backup notes about malls, um, but I'll just leave the reader wondering what they were. The reader, the listener wondering what they were. Okay. I'll great. just leave it at that. Um, thanks for telling me about these stories. Well, if you want to, okay, so we're a little bit short and you wanted to talk about violence. The last oh, story yes. in the book. So I talked about the first one. Let's end with the last one. Great. Thank you. Good, good is, save. Uh, good save. Yeah, I know. Right. Good save. Um, it is about a, there's, there's so many like cool sci-fi system conceit things going on here that I really enjoyed. Like, okay. They, so this is a society of people. I think it's they were wiped out by an atom bomb or, or you know some kind of nuclear explosion. It's called the Flash. Okay. But a side effect of this is they all relive that same day that the Flash happened. Oh boy! Over and over and over again, and it becomes sort of a large scale Groundhog Day thing because everybody sort of individually in the society becomes aware that they are looping through time. Uh huh. On like a different schedule, and then some people start to accrue things, like whether that's like physical strength or like knowledge that preserves through loops. Oh boy! And that is that is unique for some folks. Like the the protagonist in this one is a fourteen year old girl who whose physical strength and like skill with weapons and stuff keeps getting better throughout loops. And then her little brother, who's a six-year-old, is accruing knowledge. So he is effectively a very wise adult in the body of a six-year-old. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. But she revealed to you through... This is one of the longer stories in the book. Revealed to you, the reader, through like 30 pages of story is all the stuff that has happened in this community, but also to this girl. And it's like she started out just like killing the bullies and like people who were like punching down at people and and being awful but then as the loop went on and on and on and it became clearer and clearer that nobody's actions had consequences or at least everybody would wake back up alive again the next day mm -hmm. she effectively starts doing speed runs to oh, see no. just like how quickly she can kill all of the people who live in like her th in this sector holy of holy crap okay yeah she's just kind of gamifying the the, the um the the horrible like staticness of of this world around her but then also having to deal with other people who are doing this exact same thing oh my god um and is that and like it's, it's, is it pretty it's, brutal it's there are brutal elements, but then also she is she has come out on the other side of it, like having gotten bored of it and seeing what she was doing as like bad. So huh. she is so 
she is she seems just like a you know a, a straightforward sort of normal sort of person and then you start getting these little bit these little snippets where like she comes into somebody's house and they call her like knife queen <laughs> and she's like i don't make people call me that anymore <laughs> which raises all kinds of questions oh my god that i really really love no that's interesting is like that compared with um, Zimmerland and a little bit, I guess, in Finkelstein, like he, it does sound like he is riffing on the idea of consequences and like oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. the limits thereof and how you behave without them and who gets to determine what they are and what the framework for that is. You know, this is like literal, like time doesn't work the right way. So like that changes what consequences are. Yeah, that's cool. And that, that is a great, like, short stories are a great way to explore that kind of thing because you get to, like, yeah. take a take an idea and come at it from, like, a couple of different... Well, and you don't need to do what, like, a seven-book fantasy series does, which is, like, think through the full implications of every single choice you've decided to make and how they all, <laughs> like, play with each other. Yeah. And you just draw this bigger and bigger audience with more and more people who can't just like sit and enjoy a book they have to be like well this isn't this isn't consistent <laughs> are you i don't know what author you might be talking about i'm not i'm talking about a lot of authors <laughs> honestly <laughs> i'm specifically thinking about when that horse apparently like was a different horse between george R. R. martin books like the the lore guy got the horse wrong I mean, there, point. yeah, there's that. There is like the the Robert Jordan people did have at least one person who was like the fact keeper, like a, yeah. a, a passive edit for continuity because Robert Jordan and then Brandon Sanderson could not keep track of all the stuff <laughs> that was going on all at once. Well, and then you got to write that character into like the last book. This is like a little nod. Thank you for all your yeah. work. But I think it's, it's, I think it is partly because. As I put Henry to bed, I am just wa- I'm slowly watching the entirety of Mystery Science Theater, which I've not I've not weirdly I've not seen all the way through. Like mm. I've not seen every episode of that show, mm. but now that I now I am watching them, and there's a line in the theme song about how if you're wondering how he eats and breeds and other science facts, repeat to yourself. It's just a show you should really just relax, and I feel like everybody should just relax in all contexts when it Great. comes to fiction. Okay. <laughs> Yes, Andrew reads a book about a bunch of heavy stuff and is, hey, everybody, just relax. Just relax, everyone. At least about continuity stuff. About just continuity enjoy, stuff. Just enjoy what the author is trying to say and don't worry so much about that the magic system seems to work differently in this chapter than it has in all previous <laughs> chapters. Okay, that makes sense. <laughs> all right. Uh, that seems like a good justification for the violence that he has put in the book, though. Ajabrenya. That, that last story seems like a good. Oh yes, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there there is other there's other violence throughout. Though this is the single violentest. Okay. I, th- I mean, Friday Black is pretty violent, but other than that, I think this is the violentest. But the violence is that person, not only them doing the violence, but then also them like pivoting to become a person who talks about how everyone is eternal and perfect. Mm-hmm. Is yeah, just a way of thinking about that violence and its effect on external people and also the protagonist. Sure. 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 Well, cool. Thanks for sharing these stories with me. Yeah. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's a good read. Like the it. site says. Yeah. Get it. It's one of those good reads. 
Oh boy. Um, if you, uh, thinking back to the beginning of the show, want to tell us which shirt you would wear, anti-vegan vegan club or reigning champion, you can hit us up. <laughs> We're going to get some weird tweets this week, huh? Facebook.com slash pod or Twitter.com slash pod. Thanks to Caitlin, Beth, MBK, Jason, Leanne, Ramsey, Taylor, Anna, Fran, Haley, Gloria, Robert, Anthony, AJ, and many more for letting us know that they were listening throughout the past week. You can also send us uh, an email about your favorite mall at overduepod at gmail.com or your least favorite mall. Let us know. Send us an email about it. Or let's just talk about ghost malls. Man, I was I thought maybe we were going to talk about ghost malls a lot this week, but uh, anybody want to talk about ghost mail, ghost malls? You send me an email, email. I will talk about ghost malls. Um, Andrew, if folks want to know more about the show. Where should they go? They should go to overduepodcast.com, which is our internet website. Up there, we have links to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, our RSS feed. Those are all ways you can subscribe to the show. We are also on Spotify, Stitcher, and pretty much anywhere else you can find podcasts. Uh, we have. Our March schedule, Craig, do you want to run us through that yes, bad boy? I'll be updating the actual website with this information, but it is uh, last week's High Fidelity by Nick Hornby, which you go listen to with our friends at Appointment Television if you haven't done that. Uh, this week's Friday Black. Next week, Under the Skin by Michael Faber, uh, which was turned into a film that, as I understand, was even weirder than the book, so we'll talk about that, I guess. <laughs> uh, Guards, Guards by Terry Pratchett, which I think is the eighth book in the Discworld series. We're going yeah. back to Discworld. Yeah, when we did, um, what was it, like The Color of Color Magic? Color of Magic, yeah. Yeah, the the first Discworld book. A lot of people told me that starting at the beginning was not the right call <laughs> with respect sure. to the Discworld <laughs> series. So okay. I'm gonna, I wanted to give it another try, and this is both Reddit and our listeners say that this is one of the better starter novels for Listen, Discworld. Listen, so. we've done that to people who ask us where to start. We're like, you don't need to start at number one. So I understand. That's true. Yeah, yeah I suppose. Following, okay. following That's a useful up. way to put it. Yeah, Man, following that up. Mind. Um, we're going to be reading The Bear and the Nightingale by Catherine Arden. And, of course, we are still motoring through uh, the afterlife with Hellboy's um and the paradiso at this point more information on that at patreon.com and That's please it. go back and listen to our bonus episode we released last this past friday about the sonic the hedgehog novelization a uh, an episode which prompted at least one listener to say sonic the hedgehog really <laughs> yeah we've had a good time with that one though <laughs> of our weirder episodes I, that might be my favorite <laughs> It's it was a it was a good one. It was a good one. I felt there was an energy that pervaded that show that Some I feel like I haven't energy. we haven't accessed in a while. Yeah, it must have been that Sonic the Hedgehog chaos energy. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to our dumb podcast where we talk about Sonic the Hedgehog and then Friday Black. Yep, <laughs> right in a row. <laughs> Until we talk to you next time, everyone. Please try to be happy. That was a HeadGum Podcast.